Hi, this is Joel Bogus, one half of the Relaunch Show broadcast team, and you are listening to my buddy Jeff Smith. Vroom, vroom, beer. Yay. That was awesome. Is <laughs> that okay? No, that was the best. I like the way you did vroom, vroom, beer. <laughs> well, Let me do done. it one more time. Well, okay, more time. go for it. Hi, this is Joel Bogus. Hi, this is Joel Bogus, one half of the broadcast team of the Relaunch Show. And you are listening to my buddy, Jeff Smith, and Vroom Vroom Veer. Well done, sir. Thank you. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. David Freeze, welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer, and thank you so much for being here. How's it going? Good, good, Jeff, and thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. As soon as I uh, I saw your one sheet and your and you got the sunglasses on and the little scarf and the little goatee, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is. The, I need to talk to this dude. He's going to have some really fun stories. You know. Oh, it's right. good because my mother-in-law hates that picture. So that's how I know it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and I've been growing a beard on and off uh, since like um, this time, 2014. And uh, yeah, you get all kinds of varied reactions when you decide to go full beard. It's true. <laughs> to my wife is always just like, and whenever I want to score points with my wife, I just shave my beard. <laughs> Take it off. And she just loves me for like weeks. Anyway, uh, yet I, I digress right away. Good for me. Um, so let's get into this. Um, your, uh, I, I didn't ask you, which website are we talking about? Because you have more than one. Uh, do you want to talk about Business Black Ops? Sure. That would okay. be great. Uh, but I usually send people for information to... Uh, SuccessTechnologies.com because there's tons of resources for them there. And if they want to know about Business Black Ops, I send them to Three Days to Success. Three Days to Success. That was my next question. Okay, so Three Days to Success.com. And say that other one again because I'm going to write it down so we can, we can hit it more than once. Sure. Uh, I, I have tons and tons and tons of resources that people could use for marketing, communication skills, persuasion. Uh, and that's all at Success. The word success technologies plural dot com. Got it. See now, I, for whatever reason, I didn't pick up on that one, but now I got it. Successtechnologies.com. Excelente. So, so that's what you're doing now, but that's not where you started out. So let's go back in time, right? And and how did you start? Let maybe start like around college days. How did you start out? What did you do in college? Sure. So I had a very weird, uh, as you can imagine from my one sheet, I had a very weird young life. I left home. I'm going to go a little bit before college. That's great. I, I left home when I was 16 and I went as far away from home as I possibly could go without starting back around the globe. I went to New Zealand. Wow. And, yeah. And in 1976, and 16? 
Yes, at 16. I went as a Rotary Exchange student and okay. stayed for us. I just kept figuring out ways to stay until finally my parents said, no, if you want us to pay for college, you better come home. Right. And uh, since I didn't have as much as I needed to pay for school, I came home. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, when I got back, I hadn't. I graduated from uh, what was what they call college in New Zealand, which was high school. And okay. uh, But I did, I hadn't graduated from a high school in the United States, and um, I hadn't taken the SATs and things. So I, I uh, did all of those things and then uh, ended up in college. And the reason I went back a little bit is that's relevant because sure. I, I um, you know, had the chance to, to be who I was uh, uh, you know, without all of the history, people didn't know me. And that was uh, very, very interesting. And so when I got back and went to college, I kind of had that experience again. So I learned a lot about uh, human beings and how they process information and how they make judgments about things just uh, because of that, I think. Um, when I went to college, I went as a political science and a history history major. Okay. So that's that's the uh, the college part. But I, I also started programming. Computers were just really starting up and uh, they were pushing the card readers out into the hallway of the computer science lab. Okay, good. <laughs> Lucky you. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's what happened. That's how I that's how developed you... that odd okay. combination of skills. Wow. So you were, you were into computers, history, and political science? Yes, and I managed to work computers into history and political science as often as I could. Wow. That's quite the mix. <laughs> so what did you end up getting your bachelor's degree in? So I uh, ended up getting my bachelor's degree and uh, departmental honors go team in both history and political science. Oh, wow. And I needed money, so I um, became a undergrad teaching assistant in computer science too. I, your audience will know how old I am when I say that I was a COBOL programmer because anybody wow. that knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know what that is, but only barely. I know that I think the B stands for business maybe. There's <laughs> something way back. <laughs> wow. That, that's really going back there. Wow. Yeah, I I just had a a guest on yesterday, and she had worked in computers when she was young, mm -hmm. right out of college, and she worked for a company called Tandem, Tandem, and Tandem eventually became Cisco. But anyway, I digress yet again. Uh, right. So this is two days in a row that I have computer geek history. All time computers. Right. 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 Yeah. Do you, um uh, when I was in high school. We and this was in uh, I was a senior in, in 1987, and they had a very modern computer called an IBM System 36, it was mm -hmm. a mini computer, right? And it took up like uh, about the size of like three air conditioning units all in one <laughs> big plastic, <laughs> right? And it, uh, yeah, we've come so far. I bet you that that computer was not as powerful as my uh, as my cell phone right now. Yeah, my first portable computer was an Osborne, so it was the size of a large suitcase. Wow, Osborne. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the Timex Sinclair 1000? I do. <laughs> I had one. <laughs> wow. Right, I know. Super uber geeks. All right, so, okay, so what, 
what sort of job then are you looking to pursue after you graduate from college? Because that's an interesting combination, and you're already working in the field of computers part-time. So what happened? So there was some definitely some uh, vroom vroom veer going on uh, right. because I, I was d- dead set on becoming, which I can no longer explain to anyone why this was. I, I think I just thought that if you were interested in history, that law was a really good idea because you could read about old stuff. Yeah. And so I, I guess I just thought yeah. that was a match. Yeah. Okay. So I was dead set on becoming a lawyer. And interestingly, um, my... Uh, I was introduced through history, that's all I'll say, to school in first, and uh, I was told to talk to this guy, and the guy said, uh, so I hear you're a patriot. And I said, well, maybe not in the same way that you're thinking, but uh, I think of myself as a patriot. And one thing led to another, and I was uh, applying my skills in a completely different way. I learned to be an interrogator. And then what? they quickly... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. And they, these these folks that were teaching me to interrogate people quickly found out that I was just good at at uh, being persuasive, and people wanted to talk to me and tell me things. For example, I one time had my boss tell me, "Oh, we have an unusual situation here. You interrogated this person, and they've requested you back. They want to tell us things, but they won't talk to anybody but this weird redheaded guy." <laughs> So I have the distinction of being an interrogator that was regularly requested back by the people he was talking to. <clears throat> so they, these folks didn't really know they were being interrogated. Were you using the good, no. good, good cop techniques? I, if there were two of us, I was always the good cop. Yeah. Just me, I was purely the good cop. Uh, but what, this, what was interesting about this and what, why it relates to, to going to New Zealand was that I, I really was able to pay very close attention when I went to New Zealand to how people reacted to me and because they didn't know me, what they needed to know in order to trust me and the sorts of things they would tell me. And I just became fascinated with that. Like, why did this person decide they liked me because I was an American when somebody else hated me because I was an American? And how did I win over the person that made this initial judgment? And, uh, you know, if they came from a family that didn't like Americans, you know, how did I win over that family? And so it was very, my experience as an exchange student was really powerful in forming the way I thought about communication and persuasion. And then ultimately, that informed all of my, my marketing and the books that I write and the lectures that I give. And so I could really track it back to there where I became fascinated with human beings and how they processed information and how they made decisions about trust and how, they made, how and when they made decisions not to tell the truth anymore and how you could bring them around and maybe they'd expand the area where they trusted you. So I, um, yeah, I became a, 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 an interrogator. And so the whole time I was in college and then later in law school, people would wonder like, why does a kid who is going to college and law school have to go to Israel and, wow. you know, I mean, I'm, <laughs> it was kind of a weird schedule. So, you know, one of my, uh, um, one of my troops. Okay. So get this, this is, this is the, this will tell way more about me than, than my buddy. Mm-hmm. So we were both computer geeks, uh, by, you know, career field, military career field. Right. Mm-hmm. And I deployed to go to, I deployed twice. I went to Saudi Arabia and, uh, Qatar or Qatar, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. And both times I stayed in my lane. I did my job and, 
kept my head down. Right. That's what I wanted to do. Mission success. Okay. That's that's Came my personality. All everything intact. No, I never touched weapons, and that's exactly how I wanted it. Okay. So he gets deployed to Iraq, and, and you know, by every measure, he's supposed to show up get a desk, get a computer, get a boss and do exactly what I did. That's what mm-hmm. that's what it says, you know, for him to do. That's just not him. So he shows up and he's like, that guy's an idiot. I can do a better job at that Intel job. And boom, he becomes the Intel guy, right? Nice. Right <laughs> for this whole operation and he's running around and he's shooting people and he's getting shot at. And I'm like, you did all of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that shows bad judgment, by the way. Well, a- you know, that was that was his thing. He wanted to do that. And then the reason that I brought it up was he did so well. I mm-hmm. mean, he got like one of the good medals. I can't remember. But, you know, they the kind of medal that they like closed down the base to welcome you back to give you this medal. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he had that sort of experience. And and then they offered him one of these new interrogation schools, and mm-hmm. it was uh, after Abu Ghraib, you know. So when the word interrogator had become a very torture, bad word, right, yeah. right, <laughs> right. So it was part in reaction to that was like, but it was also in part they still wanted to get you know good information. Um, so and I just thought, wow, you know, you can really, really, you don't have to. You know, obviously, take what's given. You know, that's what I learned. I, 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 wa- I got what I wanted. He got what he wanted. You know, but you don't always have to follow the rules. Okay, let's move on. So, okay, so now you're interrogating, but you did eventually become a lawyer. I did. Along yeah. the way, I combined those two as well. A lot of times when people sort of hear my history, they think, geez, those things seem unrelated, but they're not really. No. I uh, yeah, I went to work for a district attorney in a, a county in Pennsylvania, and um, I I got to observe civilian law enforcement interrogation, and so I, I was really exposed to a lot of ways of thinking about this and viewing this, and people under operating under different uh, orders and rules of engagement in the area of interrogation. So it it was kind of fascinating. Um, the other thing that happened just by weird coincidences when I got there to this county. The county had not had a murder in five years. And the DA called me up to his office one day about, I don't know, two months into the job. And he said, listen, I'm not saying you're involved in this in any way, but we went five years without a murder. And then within six weeks of you arriving here, we have, you know, seven dead people. Oh, my uh, goodness. So, yeah, so there was wow. this, this, you know, wave of horrible murders. And uh, I got to uh, observe, again, all of that and play at, and participate at a very interesting level for a kid that was still in college and just thinking about law school. And again, that shaped the way that I thought about law school. I, I went to law school and trained to do trust of the state's work, which is the kind of lawyer that I am now. Right. Uh, but I was always involved in Litigation. In fact, when I came out of an Ivy League law school and I went and applied to all these big firms because I did very well while I was there, and they kept saying to me, uh, you know, I've looked at your resume and uh, we just don't do a lot of mass murder work here. Uh, <laughs> you're more of a business transactional firm, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But, not, uh, not a whole lot of murder cases on the docket, right? 
But it did help me in law school because it put these two sets of experiences I had put everything else into context. You know, people were being killed and people were dying for causes that were important to them and all these terrible things were going on. Saw all these crimes, and it sort of put everything else into context. So when I got to law school, and people were freaked out and worried about deaths, I was like, "Who cares?" Right. right. I I right. got married four weeks out of college. I was married. I needed to make money and build a life, and I'd seen all of these other things going. On. By the way, I should make clear to your audience that I am a fan of anybody who served in any capacity in our military. Yay! Uh, but I've always been. A civilian. Uh, I just have had the privilege of working with folks throughout my life who have served their country uh, yeah. in, in one branch or, or uh, another of the service. Um, I've been told, by the way, by more than one people in words basically to this effect, boy, you are a warrior spirit, but you would be a terrible soldier. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that whole sal- salute smartly and comply thing bothers people. Well, I think it's <laughs> I, that I, my clothes always look wrinkled. I, I'm not sure it's my personality, <laughs> but... Yeah, that would Looking get you in smart. trouble. Yeah yeah, 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 it really would. Yeah. So they don't mess so, around in the military. You know, they they just tell you, no, no, no. Appearance does count. Oh, really? It, it, it's on your email. <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of Marines, and when they see me, even to this day, they shake their because I wear flamboyant pocket squares and loud ties and things too. So. Well, you know, your your image uh, fits more in with the special forces kind of motif flowery and loud well they're just I, I don't know how much time you spent with actual no kidding special forces operators you said you you, you worked mm-hmm. with some seals and maybe some marine special forces um but i i got to i got the opportunity to spend four months with those guys that's that's who i, I deployed with it's it, awesome isn't it they're so much fun <laughs> and crazy but they really really hate rules yes um, so, you know, they're the, they're sort of like the, the folks in the military that, you know, are, they're trained to get around the rules. So everybody mm-hmm. else sort of like despises them a little bit while, you know, secretly kind of loving them <laughs> at the same time, but they, they hate it that they can get away with stuff. There's a lesson there for all of us. Right. Right. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got, um. The the funniest though I have several funny stories from that deployment, but the one that I think I like the best was um, my uh, the guy that I replaced. Now this is so stupid because here we are, we're in the war, right? And my job is to make travel arrangements for these dudes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, but I couldn't do it by the book. If I did it by the book, everybody would hate me and, and probably beat me up in my sleep. And you don't want these guys looking for you. No. <laughs> you know, he told me that with the most serious, he's like, you cannot go by the book. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> you know, in no uncertain terms, he, he laid it all out about how I sort of massaged the system to get them what they wanted. And basically it was not anything illegal. It mm-hmm. was just calling back to the home unit, booking it through McDill. And and we knew people, when they booked it at McDill, they did a certain code that mm-hmm. was a full fare ticket and got them business class all the way through London. 
Well, you got to be able to stretch out and get your you sleep. You have to be able to do that. <laughs> because if you went by the book, they had they didn't get the business class upgrade and they were upset at you. <laughs> and I, they just could not have that. I just want to say from personal experience, you do not want it. No, no. The other, the other thing that I learned was um, I was stationed in England um, before, while, while deployed to Qatar. And the first time I was in a, a big, we were driving, I was driving to the airport to pick up the boss. And I come up to a roundabout and, uh, and I yielded, you know, like you're supposed to. Because there was somebody, uh, I don't know, to the left or to the right, whatever. But I yielded a little bit. And they're like, no, don't slow down. Go, go, go. (laughs) (laughs) You're in a war zone, idiot. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Here I am thinking it's just ordinary life. So anyway, I thought that was funny. I've had a similar experience, but we were racing to get across some train tracks. So Ah, yeah. That's not good when that big piece of metal's hurtling toward you. Oh, (laughs) God. That's hilarious. Okay, so all right, so now you become a lawyer, but you're still doing some off the wall sorts of things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I actually, uh, while I was in law school, yeah, I'm I'm still uh, teaching people at this point um, uh, how to uh, either interrogate folks or to recruit folks for various purposes or reasons. Okay. And I am, uh, performing in comedy clubs. What? And yeah, that was one. Of, <laughs> one that's of the, a, that's was, an, that's a really fun combo right there. Com- it really stand, is. Stand up so, club, club stand up. So like a road style comic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All, all nine yards in the eighties. Uh-huh. Comedy clubs were big. They were so and, huge. That was the comedy boom. Yep, it was the highlight. And so I was uh, teaching programs. I was uh, performing in comedy clubs. And I figured out this was, so again, this is going to date myself. So I knew how to use word processing, but word processing wasn't freely available to people yet. So when lawyers or veterinarians or doctors coming out of Penn wanted to apply to firms or practices, they were still uh, typing hunting and pecking out their uh, resumes and their cover letters on a typewriter. So I formed a company and we built databases in any big city where you wanted to apply. And our value proposition was, hey, well, I just applied to two. Well, you could apply to 200 if you want. And and once you proof the letter and it's right, it's going to be right every time. Wow. And this was an <laughs> alien, you know, people will be yeah. laughing now because that was like an alien concept. Of right, us. right, right. <laughs> and they just paid us and we, all they had to do was sign all these letters and then we'd post them for us, for them. And there was a reasonably good markup on that. So between the courses, I, courses I'm using in quotation marks that I was teaching because sometimes you'd be driven to a parking lot with steam coming out of the ground and it was just very weird but uh (laughs) but between the courses i was teaching and comedy clubs and this business uh you know we were making enough money to buy a house and pay for tuition and live and all this is all still while you're in law school still while i'm in law school yep wow and when when i got out i had to decide am i going to live the exciting life of a litigator or am i going to do what i just was trained to do and be a trust and estates lawyer 
And so for the first three years, I worked for a great big firm that was 206 years old when I joined it. And you had to wear a three-piece suit and a pretty much a red tie. I mean, if you were rogue, you could wear other colors. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that, of power, right? Exactly. Right. And, uh, and so there was a, another veer coming here because um, I was very entrepreneurial and the comedy club thing stuck with me. So, for example, I would say and do things that other – some lawyers in the firm uh, uh, thought were inappropriate and others in, it endeared them. You know, So one time I had a buddy who later in life told me about this. He said, I went to a meeting and they said, we've got to hire this guy, Dave Freeze. He's a summer associate, but uh, – He's awesome, and he does this, and he does that. And my now friend told me that while he was there, he went with the intention of saying, don't under any circumstances hire this guy, Dave Freese. He seems <laughs> psych like a psychopath <laughs> and should be stopped at all costs. <laughs> but he was listening to everybody rave, and he thought, okay, I got the wrong guy. I, I, I must have misunderstood his name or whatever. So he left without saying to them, no, under no circumstances should you hire this guy. But they did. And they, <laughs> but they did. <laughs> they assigned me to a senior partner who was about 90 years old. Wow. And um, so we're going to just call him Mr. Smith. They, they took me to him because they thought, and they told me this later too, that Mr. Smith would tame me. And uh, they took me to Mr. Smith, and I met Mr. Smith. And at the end, he, yeah, I said, uh, listen, uh, John. I'm making these names up. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to working with you. And he said, you know, uh, most people here call me Mr. Smith. And I said, I'm good with John. <laughs> and flash forward about three weeks later, uh, H. Morton Dowler III came to my office and he said, hi, I'm your, and he was an awesome guy. He said, I'm your new supervising partner. I said, oh, no, I work with John Smith. And he said, yeah, no. Not anymore. And I said, no, John, I'm really enjoying working with John. And he said, oh, we know. We know you're enjoying it a lot, but I'm your <laughs> man. So, so the comedy club thing was hard to break. Yeah, right. Kinda there was a magazine your... story done on lawyers who were marathoners or lawyers who were uh, doctors or lawyers who, in my case, were comedians. And they came to a comedy club and took a picture of me. Uh, it and it was a national magazine. And again, the partners called me in and said, we're not sure this picture accurately conveys the branding that we're trying to, you know. But they, but I was, I was good and I was effective and I was fun to work with apparently. So they never fired me. But I did leave uh, two years later and start my own firm. You kind of sounded like you were uh, <clears throat> Jimmy McGee. <laughs> are you watching better call uh, better call Saul yes <laughs> I accept that I think as a compliment I don't know he's just what you know most lawyers call colorful yes that's right? what I think that was the adjective used to describe me they or had the loose me. cannon you know uh, right well, they wanted me to try cases, and I would settle all my cases for what I thought were preposterously low numbers, and most of the clients were pretty happy. So finally, they came to me and they said, look, we talked to a client. They, we want you to try the case. We told them this is a terrible case. You're going to lose it, and they're, they're willing to invest the money so that you can learn to try cases because right now you just settle everything because I was very persuasive. Right. And uh, I got this thing to like five cents of the dollar and I couldn't resist. I, I, I just <laughs> 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 
<laughs> you didn't actually want to do all the work. I I know I loved the idea of trying cases. Oh really? Okay. I you just loved, couldn't resist. I just couldn't. Re- Once it got that low, I was a businessman at heart, and so mm. I just always thought the client doesn't want to pay me if they could pay you know five cents on the dollar. So yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think the fact that again I got exposed to having negotiate with people who were really 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 good negotiators, I had to do that. Uh, you know, every day, right from the start when I graduated from law school, and very few people got those op- kind of opportunities. I loved this firm, and they were awesome to me, and they gave me great opportunities that turned me. You know, they they just played right into my skill set. Right. And, yeah, I was uh, going to say. I mean, you had spent all that time, you know, learning how to persuade and influence, and you know, sort of like cajole. Is that a good mm-hmm. word? <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> Right. <clears throat> Making people think they're they're getting what they want. <laughs> yes, exactly. I always wanted to have two winners. Yeah. And I, but but eventually the entrepreneurial piece of me took over. I, I, I formed my own firm and uh, and then I did become a trusted estates lawyer. And what's interesting about that is people think, well, that sounds boring and that you wouldn't use any of those skills. But I, I have to one, persuade people to come and see me. Right. confront their mortality and the bad things that have gone into their family and the problems. And, and then I have to find out what, real, what they really value and I have to translate it back to them and overlay all this complicated tax stuff. So all of these other skills that I had developed served me very, very well in all of these transitions in life. I was just always looking for ways that I could enhance the things I was always good at and learn more and just become you know, become better and better. And there were these themes that ran through my life. And I just always looked for uh, in any opportunity or with any change, I just always looked for the way to apply those skills, enhance those skills and, and make them better. And they're kind of, uh, they're very transferable, these sorts of people skills, right? They are very transferable. Uh, you know, whether your listeners uh, own their own businesses and are doing marketing or whether they are in a job where they have to negotiate or where they have to just communicate effectively and be persuasive. I'm, I, uh, I'm constantly talking about the difference between persuasion and influence because when people come to me, they say, I want to be more persuasive. I want to learn the tricks and the tactics and the force multipliers of persuasion. Right. And I always say, yeah, you know, I'm going to teach you that. But uh, you want to start with the strategies because that makes all of these little tactical things work better. And also, ultimately, you want to be using them so you're more persuasive so that your audience or your boss or your customers or your clients or whoever it is, your patients, that they're coming to you. And ask you for your advice. They're already predisposed to listen to what you have to say because they're seeking you out and they trust you that much and they want to hear what you have to say. And that's when you've become influential. And it's a push versus a pull type of strategy. Right, right, right. The nudge. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. When you graduate from being merely very persuasive to highly influential. I always had a real icky feeling trying to directly persuade somebody Mm -hmm. it was just not me (laughs) Mm -hmm. so and i i say this like i don't know where it came from i think i have an idea so like i was the youngest of three kids Mm -hmm. so i had two folks in front of me fumbling around trying to get away with crap Mm -hmm. always getting caught (laughs) 
<laughs> doing everything, right? So so persuasion uh, leads to disaster. Well, un, unbeknownst to me, it made me sneaky, right? Mm. It was always like, okay, if I want to get away with stuff, I can't just, you know, bowl my way through it, you know? I can do anything I want as long as I'm a little, like, you know, sneaky, you know? I, right. Right. So, and that's really... To me, like, I would much rather come in, be friendly, be useful, be a pleasure to be around, and then gently, you know, influence things I think, you know, so they go the way I want them to go. I would, I got no problem influencing things. I like doing that. (laughs) Persuading, that would mean I have a clue. Uh, and and it would be public, and I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do that. Does that make sense? It does. And yeah. and per being jet, per being persuasive in the broader sense of it, rather than the icky sense, requires right. you to really spend a lot of time listening to the other person and determining right. when, yes. what is it that they really want. Because people will lie to themselves and you. Oh, I mean, yeah. we, you know, they don't even know they're lying to themselves. When you when I ask job applicants what they want. They tell me these stories. They clearly, uh, uh, you know, based on all my experience, haven't thought this out. It's not what they really want. I, I got this. I worked at a <laughs> – your audience is going to think I couldn't hold a job. But I worked as part <laughs> of one program with a hip, in a hypnotic pain clinic. And I found out pretty quickly that people would say they wanted things that they didn't want and that they were lying about what they really wanted. And, and if we probed a little deeper – and we asked them a few more questions, I would find out what it was that they really, really wanted. But it wasn't easy. And they and, didn't even know. And they did not know. Right. And being genuinely persuasive takes you to the, it, it requires you to find out what they really want and find out the language they use to describe it and make sure they're not lying to themselves or to you anymore. And then to find a way to deliver that to them while still getting what you want or what you need them to do. And it's so it's very complicated. So mm. you you learned at an early age, that's a lot of work. The other it kind is. of persuasion is sneaky and ugly. I'm going right <laughs> for influence, which is awesome. <laughs> you know, I <clears throat> it just um I've learned a lot of there's a lot of things about my personality that I like to think of as just sort of like faulty wiring from childhood. That serves you well. That well, sometimes it does. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> Not that, always. That yeah. It can go either way. It can. Yeah. I found that like I I get turned off by a certain personality type. Um, and then I can like overreact to say mm-hmm. like, you know, the the sport jock pushy type, they just rub me the wrong way. So, mm-hmm. and I've learned that just in the last say two years that those folks can still help me and they have great value, but I have to get over myself. But just knowing it, knowing that no, you have yeah, a trigger totally. within you, it, right, right. It, because you could say, okay, that's something that was triggered in me. It's not because I've really thought this thing out. And that just leaves you open. Uh, you know, it leaves your, your mind right. open to yes, having yeah. a relationship with that person. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and, and you know, first off, you think, I think your gut is telling you, don't trust this person, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then when I stepped back a little bit, I was like, they didn't do anything. They're, they're just being them, you know? And, you know, you've got stuff that says that sort of person is, you know, like your brother or like this dickhead or that asshole, you know? <laughs> 
So and, we have the explicit rating on your podcast. Are we good to we, go now. Yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> always. Because these are exactly the terms that I used to describe what you're describing. Too. <laughs> you know, and that's that's not true. None of those things are true. Right. But that's just what I was telling myself. So, anyway, as soon as I saw again your one sheet, I wanted to ask you about a book. And we don't have to talk about it because we're on a podcast. And this book is a bit like Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first rule about this book is some, most people don't want to talk about it. Have you ever read uh, 48 Laws of Power? I have. And he, Green, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very good book and a very smart man. Right. So are you willing to talk about it a little bit? Sure. It's been a long time since I read it, so my responses may start like this. No. Uh. Uh, uh, well, okay. Well, you know, I don't remember. I think his name's Robert Green. Robert Green, and yes. And I am currently reading it, but, um, you know, a lot of the things in that book, I think, is sort of, I, it, to me, it's sort of like what the modern and even like the the, the ancient, you know, the historical uh, brokers of power, they were following this rule book whether they knew it or not. Mm-hmm. And whether we like it or not, I think that it, it's going to continue. And even if I don't want to be an evil, power-hungry son of a bitch, I should know that that's going on. <laughs> yes. Right? I, I mean, when, when I speak, a lot of times people stand up in the audience and say, that's hideous and manipulative. And my answer is, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All human communication is manipulation. It all is. You're trying to get somebody, even if you're trying to entertain somebody, you're trying to get them to laugh. You're trying to educate them. You want them to learn something. Right. So it's really your intention. But also, you should know this stuff so you're not led around like a pig with a ring in its nose. Amen. Uh, yes. You should be able to spot it. Yep. Right, so right. I love that. Right. Okay. So let's get a little bit into this, uh, the mysterious six-word question. <laughs> okay. Just because that's just so intriguing to me. Any Anytime you word, use the word mysterious, you know, then there's a little box with a question mark on it. Okay. Tell me about the six-word question. Well, and this is a perfect follow-up to talking uh, about, and we can continue talking about the 48 laws of power too. But so this is one of the sort of laws of human communication and my life got a lot better when I learned this little language pattern that we're going to talk about and that I can teach really quickly. Okay. And and also there's video of it. So sometimes when I teach this quickly, people go, oh, it went too fast, and they feel frustrated. So you can watch me do this and listen to it. Um, over and over because and over the, again, right? Over and over again, it's pretty yeah. easy. If you just Google Dave Freeze and the six-word question, you'll you'll see a video of it. Cool. Um, but, but here's the, here's the thing, and this is manipulative. And so this is one of those things that's going on behind the scene and you can either use it ethically or not. You can either know it's being used on you or not, but it's, it really uh, goes to the biology of human communication. So even if it's being used on you, it's going to be hard to resist it. Sure. So, uh, uh, you're married. Did I hear that? I am. And do you have any children or no? No kids. But you've seen them. I, I know that children exist, yes. Okay. So <laughs> you, you could probably predict, even though you don't have children, you could probably predict what the single phrase is. So if a parent is supportive and they want the child to do something and they ask them to do it or tell them to do it and the child says, no, I can't, what do you think a supportive parent says to that child? So mm. the most common expression, by the way, there are others, is yes, you can. Okay. It, 
That's what they say. And we know that that's true, not just from the studies of it we've done, but I did this course in reverse. So instead of teaching parents to manipulate their children, I taught uh, fourth graders how to manipulate their parents. Well, and they're by the already way, they, doing that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but once they learned a couple of techniques, the, the, like the wheels came off. This experiment went bad fast because <laughs> uh, they're really expert at this. Yeah. But when we ask these kids – if your parents ask you to do something and you say, no, I can't because you don't want to or you're afraid or you might fail, what do they say? And all these kids chorused at the same time, yes, yes you, you can. can. Yeah. Right. So here's the problem with that. If you're asking a child or anybody to do something and they say, no, I can't, it's probably deep down because of fear of failure. I mean, even if they say, it's, I just don't want to, it's probably rooted in there that they can't imagine themselves being able to do it successfully yet, so they, they just say, no, I right, can't. Right. So when a parent, or, and I'm going to talk about how you do this with a child first because it's very pure, and then we can talk about how you do it in business or in life with adults. Um, but if, if a parent says, yes, you can, all they're doing is they're starting the negotiation from a point of argumentation. They said, do this. Child says, I can't. They just said, yes, you can. So the child's whole intern process is they go inside and they come up with all these reasons that they're right, that they can't do it, and you're wrong, mm. and you didn't listen to them. So, but if you, do, if you do this six-word question process I'm about to describe, something else entirely different happens. So uh, instead of saying, and I used to say that too, and I have three kids, and I used to say it. Yes, you can. And then, I, yeah, I started taking my own advice, and, and I stopped doing that, and I did this. I said, when I'd say do it, and they'd say no, I'd say, I know you feel like you can't. Now, let me just explain that they said they can't, and I said, I know you feel like you can't. So it looks an awful lot like I just agreed with them 100%. Because I said, yeah, I, I know you feel like you can't. But we did move them. Because when they say I can't, that's absolute. When I say I know you feel like you can't, one, I seem like I'm in agreement. And two, they're sort of nodding. But they, we just went to I feel like they can't, which is a lot less permanent. And I also add one word, a presupposition. I say I know you feel like you can't yet. So the brain processes that presupposition by imagining that they will be able to in the future. So you just moved them twice from I absolutely can't to I sort of feel like I can't to yet, which means – I can at some point in the future. And so they have at least a hazy imagining of being able to do it. That's beautiful. It's very cool. Now, here's where the six-word question comes in. I then use another trick or manipulative te te technique called the Zargainic effect. So with kids, what I would do is I would lean in and I would say, hey, where's your mother? Change my tone of voice a little bit, whisper. Because when a dad <laughs> says, where's your mom? It's a conspiracy. Fun? It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, There's yeah, never yeah. A mother. <laughs> and you lean in and use this conspiracy tone of voice, and yeah. they lean in. And so you just changed their neurochemistry dramatically to where there's a little probably anxiety, a lot of curiosity. And so they're going to pay much more attention to what you're about to say. And then I use the six-word question. I, I start by saying, I'm just curious or I'm wondering. Now, that's a good language pattern to use with adults or kids because you're not making a judgment. You're just curious about something. Mm. And they, now they lean in a little bit more, and here's the six-word question. You'd say, what would happen if you did or what would happen if you could? Now, this causes them – it's just like if I say to you, by the way, Jeff, don't think of the color blue. What must you think of? A pink elephant. 
So you're you're, a psycho, you're psychopathic, but it does right. It quickly Color goes blue. blue. Of course, pink elephant. Right. <laughs> yes. So, it's so, usually pink elephant, but yes, yeah, I get exactly. it. But that's where we land. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, yeah. you and I, I know you're a fellow traveler now. Right. Right. <laughs> so here's the thing about that: when you say I'm just curious or I'm wondering what would happen if you did or what would happen if you could, they must imagine themselves being able to do it. Right. And so oftentimes, so in the workplace, it would look more like this. Hey, Joan, um, I need that report by Tuesday. Can I have it by Tuesday at 8 a.m.? No, no, I can't. can't so you could either blow up and start screaming, which is probably not going to get you where you want to be, or you could, and it would be weird, by the way, if you leaned in and said, Joan, where's your mom? So, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't do I that. would probably not do that, don't but do I, might say, in, yeah. I, I might wiggle my finger a little bit and say, hey, come here. All right. And then just say, I'm just curious or I'm wondering. What would you need or what would have to change in order for you to feel completely sure and certain that you can get it done by Tuesday? And then with an amazing frequency, they'll go, oh, well, I would just need somebody to cover the phones on Monday. So uh, like they went from, no, oh, it can't be that's done. Impossible. It's impossible to, yeah, I just need something that's well within your power to give. Now, now look, are there times when people come up with 32 things that they probably don't need? But you can persuade Joan to do this thing. Maybe her job depends on it. So you want to get her to where oh, man. she's ready, willing, and able. And a lot of times I find when I, when I work through this with people that the thing they need – and by the way, notice that I put another trick in there. I said, what would have to change or what would you need in order to feel completely sure and certain that you could get that done by – late Monday or early Tuesday. Mm. So they do what's called a trans-derivational search. They sort of look around and sort through things that they would need that would trigger that feeling in them, which is awesome. That is awesome. You've now triggered the feeling that they could get it done, which is very powerful. So these are the little sort of dark tactical secrets of great communicators and persuaders. Well, and I just learned something, too, that several of my bosses in the military were doing this to me on a regular basis. They may have learned that from me. They may have. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's exactly the tactic that all of my bosses would use. But it was, it was uh, the same. Mm -hmm. But it, it would shape out like it would start like this. Jeff, come into my office. Okay. okay. You know, that doesn't happen all the time, right? <laughs> right. Okay. But that's the Zarganic effect. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, curiosity. right. Yeah. Now, now they, well, they've, they've sort of like taken you out of routine, mm -hmm. right? So, okay. What are you working on right now? Nice. Right? That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? What are you working on right now? Okay. That's really important, but I got this really hot thing. When can you get it done? Mm -hmm. I don't know, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. How long will it take you to tell me? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, right. And I'll, be, I'll get back to you in 10 minutes with a better answer, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And then, mm -hmm. and then you're, you're on it, right? It's easier in the military because you don't really have the option of saying no. <laughs> That's true, I right. think. But I've talked to a lot of officers, commissioned and non-commissioned officers right. about this. And you could use, you could do it by force. Right. And I, I don't mean like a direct order. But you could get it done because the option's not there. But then that makes you a less popular leader of men. Oh, totally. And right. so you have to it, save those bullets. Those are civil, civil exactly. bullets. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You need, you got to save those for when we're storming a hill. That's probably stupid. And you got, <laughs> well, when it's really like, yeah, for you, reals, 
Right. Yeah. Most even in the military that I was in, you know, these were not life and death scenarios that mm-hmm. I was engaged in for the most part. You know, I mean, obviously I deployed a couple of times. Oh, before we get off me in the military, I don't know if I've ever told this story before on my podcast and, you know, we're talking, so I'm going to do it. So, I'm loving these stories. Yeah, too. Anyway. So, yes, this is fun. So when I was in Saudi Arabia, there was this rule that um, whenever you were driving any old vehicle, you know, because they had like this rule, if you saw people at a bus stop and you had empty seats in your vehicle, you had to offer them a ride. Mm-hmm. So where me and this other airman person that I didn't know, we're at the bus stop and we need a ride back to, you know, the uh, where you live side of the base. And uh, these two contractors in a leased vehicle mm-hmm. uh, pick us up and we're both active duty, of course. And we get in the back seat. And as soon as we get in the back seat, they're like, one looks at the other and says, should we do the jump? <laughs> and, 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 and I give the, the, the girl a look and she gives me a look and they go, and, and I think he answered, yeah, probably. And then we go about the ride, right? It's about 15 minutes. And then he turns this corner and they were doing construction and there was like this ramp built up. <laughs> across the road that you're supposed to, you know, go slow (laughs) over. And he turns this corner. It was like a 90 degree kind of uh, corner and just floors it like the Dukes of (laughs) Hazzard. And we launch over that ramp and, you know, heads were bumped, water was spilled and laughs forever. (laughs) I I I felt really bad. You know, I one time terrorized a uh, man just trying to do his job at a rental car place overseas because I said, do you have the kind of insurance where I can bring this car back all burned up just with the steel rims and no tires and I won't have to pay anything? And he kept saying, oh, no, sir, there's no such insurance. And then eventually a supervisor came out. And I'm pretty sure that your contractors had this kind of insurance because uh, and, and then I felt bad afterwards because the supervisor he kept saying like this man wants the kind of insurance where he could bring this back the car smoking and burning in the meantime i'm sort of doing the finger by the forehead showing like i think he's crazy and i kept saying i don't know what he's talking about i'm sure there's no kind of insurance like that well, i didn't say that but i if i, I was definitely going to do the jump if i got that kind of insurance <laughs> right right but that's pure zargynic effect right there shall we do the jump oh they totally had us you know and and then you know they didn't say a word that's you know? a nice touch it was you know then the ride continued and we both kind of was like what the hell were they talking about i guess we're not doing the jump okay good you know no nothing was said but that was all non-verbally communicated between me and this other person that I don't know and uh, in the back seat. And then we did the <laughs> jump. <laughs> they literally meant the jump. They literally meant the jump. All right. So well, you're doing the same thing to your audience because you brought up this dark, mysterious 48 Laws of Power. Right. Well, that's and a then- great book. And then, and then you just left it, and people were like, "Whoa, did. I'm going yeah. to go. I'm going to go buy that thing." Well, it's it's a bit like you know, whenever I bring it up, you have to kind of be careful. It's a bit like Fight Club. I know yeah, it is. It's a bit Fight Clubby. Um, and I said that before. I get that, but some people just don't want to talk about that book. Um, the, 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 they should. 
because it really is what's going on. And if we ignore right. it, we ignore it at our own peril. Right. I mean, it's sort of like people think if you pick up an evil book, you get evil on you. <laughs> or something. <laughs> it, oh, it's, wow. it feels that way almost, but it's not. I mean, it, and even, you know, I know it's been a while since you've read it, but like in the first couple of chapters, mm-hmm. I was thinking there's no way that this is, this is the, act, the author's persona. Mm. The voice was mm. of an evil person, essentially. Mm. <laughs> and, and if you like that book, by the yeah, way, I'm sorry, I didn't I do. interrupt you. No, no, if you no. like that, read Thick Face, if you could find it. Thick Face, Black Heart. Thick Face, Black, black Heart. Heart. It's okay. kind of the Asian version of the okay. 48 Laws of Power. Okay. Wow. It sounds interesting. Thick face, black heart. Okay, I'll put that a link to that in the show notes. I, it sounds like it's impossible to find. I don't know. I haven't looked at it. I read it many years ago. I just yeah. don't know if it's in print or not. But uh, uh, if it is, it, it's it worth out. read. We yeah, we probably yeah. just sold a lot of books. Right, right. Oh, there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we do it every show. <laughs> well, this has uh, been a blast. So, did we cover everything? Do, do we do we need to? We we should talk a little bit more about your stuff, so people can find. Uh, more about what you've got going on at successtechnologies.com, right? Yeah, if they go to successtechnologies.com slash blog, if they go to the blog, we have tons of great articles and resources and ideas for them there on these kind of topics that we've been talking about tonight. And you also have uh, 3daystosuccess.com. What's that about? So uh, I alternate. It's the yin and the yang. Uh, every other year, I do three days to success, and three days to success dot com is the website to go to, and that's all about the love we did uh, this past year in twenty fifteen. We did uh, three days on how you take the laws of physics and biology and make them power your business and your success more effectively. And then on alternating years, we do business black ops. That's what's this year out in Phoenix in end of September, early October. And I have uh, Jocko Willink. Jocko is a uh, lieutenant commander, retired Navy SEALs. He uh, was in command of task unit Bruiser in Ramadi, the most decorated task unit of SEALs in the war. Wow. And uh, yeah, good guy and very smart, a warrior scholar. And uh, he's going to be my guest speaker. But I have some other guest speakers, one that ran a counterinsurgency operation. And uh, all of us are talking about force multipliers. Here's something we learned uh, in, in Jocko's case, in the case of the guys that served in the military. Here's how we used it you know, to deal with bad guys. And then here's how we use these force multipliers to really jack up our businesses or to help the businesses that we help. And a force multiplier, as you know, but for your audience, that might be, for example, night vision is a force multiplier. If you give a well-trained soldier or airman night vision, they have a major benefit on the battlefield if they could choose to fight at night. Right, right. and if you give a special forces operator who's been very carefully selected and then subsequently carefully trained, if you give him or her you know, a poorly trained enemy, even if they have night vision. So force multipliers kind of stack on one another and synergize one another. So that's a very cool program that we do, and thank you for mentioning it. Anybody that's in business and wants to really power up what they're doing or increase their performance without, you know, doing that at the expense of their sleep, force multipliers are the way to go. So that's a very cool program. I love it. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's sort of like uh, just like a huge advantage for not a lot of cost. That's always what I always thought about uh, yep. a force mu- multiplier. 
Right. Yep. Big I, advantage without a lot of resources, either right. of time. Money. Right, right, mm -hmm. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't always have to be able to shoot people from a horse. <laughs> <laughs> as useful as that skill is. <laughs> this has been a blast. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. So let's do this again sometime. Would love to. Anytime I could be of help. All right. All right. Thanks for being here and uh, you have a good one. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. <laughs>